0: You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with my good nerdy friends, uh, John Beeler and Graham Williams. We've got uh, an awesome program for you today. Uh, Later on, we'll be chatting about Amazon. Are they getting too big? Do they have too much power? Is there censorship afoot? Well, we'll be talking uh, with a a bookstore owner down in uh, Kansas Uh, about uh, one of his publications that uh, might have been censored by Amazon by being critical of them. And we'll uh, get some information uh, on that. Talk about biting the hand that feeds you. Uh, We will uh, also uh, be talking about ransomware and phishing attacks. There's so many of us working from home now. You have to be super careful because uh, cyber criminals have increased their attacks on uh people working from home and and businesses so we're going to talk about some tips that you can use to uh help prevent uh, you becoming a victim of uh, that let's talk about some of the news uh guys uh, i guess the big thing this week would be uh, apple they had their big worldwide developers conference we'll be going through that in detail on tomorrow's sister show called the app show it's uh on Sundays on the Chorus Radio Network and uh, here in Vancouver on CKNW 980. It goes from 10 to 11 a.m. So if you wanna find out uh, in-depth covering coverage of that, make sure you stay tuned for it. Or you can always visit our website at getconnectedmedia.com. We've uh, written a ton of articles and got some video up there as well to give you the lowdown on it. Uh, some of the highlights for me guys uh, would uh, be Apple getting into making their own processors now, competing directly against Intel. So in the future and pretty quickly here by the end of the year, Apple will be using their own Apple Silicon chips instead of Intel chips in their MacBooks and uh, their iMacs. Big surprise.
1: I don't think so. I mean, uh, again, it's something they've been working on for uh, for quite some time. The, the big one for me though was actually the name of it, uh, Apple Silicon, um, which we have to distinguish from Apple Silicone, which is something you would use to seal your bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> to very different things. Um, so Apple Silicon. But uh, I mean, this this was the roadmap, right? We've been talking about it for years. Uh, these processes are getting faster, more power efficient. Not surprised. Uh,
0: they've updated all of their different operating systems uh, as well. And, you know, like I was saying, part of the move of doing their own chips for their uh, laptop and their computer line is that it aligns everything together. So now they'll be using the same Apple hardware technology in your iPhone, iPads, uh, and also Apple TV and now their uh, their computer system. So it's going to make it easy for developers to create apps basically once that'll work across all those different uh, platforms. No big hardware announcements, other than the uh, the Apple Silicon, uh, but uh, lots of updates to the different operating systems. Uh, you know, on the watch, your Apple Watch will now tell you how long you need to wash your hands uh, for. Big, big changes coming for iPhone users and how you use your home screen. Uh, You know, If you're used to scrolling through screen after screen of apps, trying to find the one you want, that is going to change dramatically. If you want to find out more about that, visit our website, getconnectedmedia.com, or tune in to the app show tomorrow, and we will give you the step-by-step of how that's all going to uh, work. On to some other news, guys. Um, Microsoft. And I don't know if a lot of listeners would know about this, but uh, they had a service called Mixer that competed against Amazon's Twitch, which is... I think you know used by a lot of video game uh, enthusiasts to uh, stream their their gameplay. So Microsoft had Mixer, and again, most people probably haven't heard of it, but it's now shutting down. John, uh, explain what uh, what's going on with that.
2: Yeah, uh, so Mixer is something that was uh, basically built into your Xbox. Uh, it gives you the ability to, to play your video games, and it, by pressing one button, you can actually broadcast that gameplay to somebody else that they can use a web browser, an Xbox, or even a smartphone or tablet to watch that person playing the game. And this is incredibly popular, especially with kids. Uh, even myself, when a new game has, comes out, I like seeing how other people are playing it, get some ideas, some tips and tricks, and that kind of thing. Um, and also, these play- platforms sort of develop personalities as well so you you tend to follow people that you like hearing about kind of like people listening to our radio show for example they like listening to mic soothing sounds uh <laughs> same thing on on twitch or mixer uh those platforms are really made for uh, personalities that have an interesting take on a specific game or a variety of games uh, and we talked i think even last week about the fact that um in may uh eight million hours of people playing chess was streamed on twitch so but anyways mixer is shutting down uh, and it was basically part of a deal with facebook so facebook is going big and hard in the gaming streaming service as well uh and so this was the part of that play uh Unfortunately I don't know if it was related or not there was also some concerns uh with some of the uh the senior management at Mixer about some uh racism concerns that would have come to light uh, just over the past week and also there was even some issues with some uh some ass- uh, sexual assault on some of the streamers that were targeted by people in various parts of the streaming community so it's, it was a really tumultuous uh, weekend f- and week for uh, the streaming services across the board. Cause then all these streamers are now sort of left, you know, am I going to go to Facebook? Am I going to go to Twitch? Am I going to go to Starbucks and be a barista? Like they don't know. And everyone's <laughs> kind of in shock still. So um, it's kind of a sad thing though. Cause I actually quite like Mixer. It was a very, it was a much smaller service than Twitch, um, but it was uh, a, a pretty well put together system and, and service that I, I quite enjoyed.
1: They, they paid a lot of money for some of those streamers, right? Basically like signing a sports star. There's one guy named Ninja, you know, seven figures for that deal. Um, the, the interesting thing, the telling thing, and this is why I think Facebook's got such an uphill battle uh, for them here. Uh, they released all of these guys from their contracts, fully paid them out um, in some cases, and they were given the option to go to Facebook and all of them said... No, not interested Um, I mean I I will say this one thing Um, and when it comes to Microsoft if this if the shutdown of this did have to do with eradicating racism sort of a kill it with fire approach I'm proud of them for it Um, they're really I mean it's it's time that we we put a stop to that in the tech industry and so seeing them stop that out if that's exactly what they did you know what bravo
2: agreed
0: Let's uh, look at some of the other tech news. SpaceX applies for a telecom license in Canada uh, in in ahead uh, of their uh, Starlink Internet debut. So this is something that we've covered on the show before. SpaceX has been launching dozens of satellites into low-Earth orbit to provide high speed internet uh, to rural areas and uh, eventually the world. So they have actually uh, applied for a license here in Canada with the CRTC. And in addition, they are looking for some initial uh, testers of the service in uh, rural parts of the uh, country. So you can actually Google this online and uh, there's a website where you can actually enter your name uh, if you are, I guess, in uh, the northern latitudes uh, where they're uh, basically targeting right now. So uh, this is going to be uh, going to be pretty interesting, uh, you know. From what I understand, it's going to be high-speed internet with uh, pretty decent uh, low latency as well. So it's going to be quick when you're, you know, clicking on web pages. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if that can be competition to some of the internet providers we have now my parents live right between uh, Cambridge and Brantford uh, and it's not a large
1: distance between the two cities but they are stuck with um, mobile internet right now which anytime it rains they they get disconnected I will say this about uh, this though this does sound a lot like the plot to Kingsman right uh, Kingsman, pardon me, the movie right like eccentric billionaire launches worldwide mobile internet service that basically causes it I'm, let's keep an eye on Elon. I'm just saying. He's, <laughs> he's,
2: like, Daniel Jackson.
1: he's like this far from supervillain.
0: I, I, I love the guy, but I'm worried. You know, you, you know what I'm interested in? Um, so what if the CRTC really, you know, restricts them on, you know, how much they can charge or if they can even operate he- here in Canada at all? Like what's to stop them from operating here? Like all you need is a receiver on your, on your house or, or your building to get that signal. Like,
1: well, they, they, they did basically have people like going around with trucks trying to track down people who had hacked satellite dishes at one point. Maybe we'll bring back the satellite squad.
0: Oh, my it'll God. Be, uh, it'll
1: be great. You there, pirated signal. Get out
0: of here. <laughs> okay, we are going to have to take a break, but we've got a really great show today. Uh, we're going to be talking about Amazon. Some people think it's getting too big. They've got their hands in too many things and controlling too much. Uh, you know, if you remember, they started off in the book space. Uh, they're the number one bookseller in the world now, uh, whether it's hardcover or even ebooks. And we're gonna be talking with a gentleman who claims that uh, Amazon censored uh, one of his publications that he was selling through their site. it's uh it's a fascinating story. If you're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network, back after this. You are back with Get Connected, Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. We have a really interesting uh, segment here. Now we're going to talk about Amazon and censorship. On uh, the line, we've uh, got a great guest. His name is Danny Kane. He is the owner of the Raven Bookstore down in uh, Kansas. Uh, he has also uh, published a, uh, a a zine, "How to Resist Amazon and Why," and. I wanted to bring Danny on because there was an interesting uh, little exchange that happened uh, about a week uh, or two ago. Uh, Elon Musk basically tweeted out that uh, it's time to break up Amazon. Monopolies are wrong. And this stemmed from uh, an issue that uh, an author of a, uh, a COVID-19 book, uh, controversial author. Uh, he basically is a former New York Times reporter who's been questioning the severity of COVID-19. Uh, might not agree with his thoughts on it, but again, uh, you know, we have to be careful of censorship. Uh, he was basically, uh, I guess, blocked in uh, some form on uh, Amazon for his uh, book, and there was a uh, New York Times article uh, written about that. And uh, in that article, uh, our guest Danny was quoted uh, thanks again for joining us, Danny.
3: Of course. I'm happy to be here. So
0: there's a lot going on. Uh, you know, and for the listeners, uh, Amazon rose to prominence uh, for being the biggest uh, online uh, bookstore. Uh, you know, they've obviously uh, ventured out into everything else. I think I just got a delivery of dish soap uh, yesterday, uh, but uh, they have come a long uh, way from books. Uh, let's talk about the the censorship. Like, What was the fallout from uh, your quote uh, in the New York Times? Uh, when it comes to like your bookstore and also your, uh, your zine and maybe just tell listeners what a zine is.
3: Yeah. Well, a a zine is, is basically a pamphlet. Um, It's, it's an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper folded in half and stapled down. It's just a super cheap way to, to self publish or disseminate whatever you want to talk about. Um, So as I sat down to kind of compile some anti Amazon advocacy, I had been doing online Um, the zine was the quickest way and cheapest way to get it out. I didn't want to put that many barriers to um, accessing this. Um, And so mainly we sold it for three bucks from our front counter at the store, just hundreds and hundreds of them. And that's the the point of zines. They're easy to reproduce and and they're they're quick. Um, Eventually, Microcosm Publishing out of Portland, Oregon, stepped in to help me publish and distribute it because the demand got way too high for for me and my wife and my friends to be stapling these every night
0: so i mean you're you're literally printing these out and stapling them yourself
3: just spending hours (laughs) at the the (laughs) self-copy store um yeah uh so they helped and that's the version that ended up on amazon and because it's traditionally published through a publisher it winds up on amazon and microcosm they don't sell directly to Amazon, but they sell to people who do sell to Amazon, so it eventually wound up on Amazon. But the day the article about Amazon censorship appeared, I just checked the Amazon site for fun and I noticed that Amazon had stopped selling it direct. Um, You could no longer get a Prime, you could no longer get it direct from Amazon warehouses. It was only available from secondary sellers at inflated prices, which is often what happens when Amazon decides not to sell something direct. It hits the secondary sellers and the price really inflates. Again, I don't know if that's a direct um, a response to the article, if they were throttling my sales on purpose, if it was something else. But that's kind of my point, is that Amazon is really secretive about this stuff um, and, and seemingly kind of arbitrary about deciding what they carry and what they don't. And that has a lot of ramifications that I'm certainly happy to talk about. Uh, it,
0: it seems like a pretty big coincidence that <laughs> that would happen on the same, same day, don't you think?
3: Well, I do. And it's um, the the reporter David Streitfeld certainly thought um, it it seemed fishy. Um, I I, again, it's hard to tell. I don't want to make any unfair accusations, but the the timing seemed to be pretty, um, pretty right there. And it's even if it didn't happen to me, it's absolutely possible for Amazon to do that. Um, If an author is critical of Amazon, they can 100 percent stop selling that author's book. Um, and the, the problem, of course, any private business uh, is allowed to decide what they sell and what they don't. I, I pride myself on the Ravens curation of books. I try really hard to make sure that all the books we have on our shelves um, are, are important or interesting or represent our store well. That's well within the rights of a private business. But I think when you get to a business of Amazon size, uh, the private business argument falls apart because Amazon is absolutely a monopoly in the book selling world. Um and their impact on the industry is so outsized that it goes beyond just a private business deciding not to stock a book. Um, Amazon accounts for half of all book sales in the United States and seventy-five percent of online book sales. And so their decisions not to stock a book are way more far-reaching than than mine as the owner of a twelve hundred foot bookstore, twelve hundred square foot bookstore in Lawrence, Kansas. Do
0: you sell books online from your Raven Bookstore through Amazon? No. No.
3: Um, in part because we don't sell used books, and that's a lot. Of, a lot of bookstores that get into selling on Amazon are selling used stock, and um, we don't do that. Um, even if we did, I wouldn't sell through Amazon. So, wh- what is what is your recourse then? You know
0: your your zine, and again, it's called "How to Resist Amazon and Why." Uh, <laughs> very
3: topical. Uh, obviously, I just
2: love the fact that it's available or was available on Amazon.
3: <laughs> it might still be. I haven't checked it in a while, um, but. So what, what
0: is your recourse? Like, who do you phone at Amazon to check in on why that, that happened?
3: Um, you, it's notoriously difficult to get anyone on the phone um, at, at Amazon. Uh, I, I know um, I would rely on my publishers for that because they're the ones. But then again, my publisher doesn't deal directly with Amazon. Um, they don't. They don't. As a, as a political statement, as a protest, they don't sell directly to Amazon um, but my Joe Beal who runs microcosm out of Portland um, has expressed frustration before about how difficult it is to get in touch with them. And I think they make it difficult on purpose just to maintain that control.
0: Were you getting, was, ma- sorry, were you getting many sales through Amazon for your zine?
3: I don't think so. Um, I mean, probably not. Uh, we were getting a ton of sa- microcosm, um, was getting a ton of sales through their website. We sell a lot through our website. Um, I I don't imagine, you know, and initially I was like, I don't want any of my books to be sold on Amazon. Um, But then it's like, you kind of think about preaching to the choir, and it's kind of funny to me to think about someone on Amazon uh, finding this book and ordering it through Amazon, because that's maybe the target audience (laughs) we need to reach. Because the people who are buying from indie bookstores already, it's like, I don't want to preach to the choir. Um, That being said, Amazon is so good at manipulating their search algorithm that if they don't want something to pop up, it won't. Um, so the odds of, of them finding of you finding some, it's you can't even browse on Amazon. It's not a site that's, that's browsable. Um, but the odds of someone happening upon my zine on Amazon without looking for it directly, I think, are pretty low.
2: It's interesting. I just looked it up on Amazon.ca, the Canadian version, and I can actually get it uh, Prime delivered by Saturday. Your your zine. There you go. Yeah, for four for five bucks Canadian.
0: Okay. You'll be huge in Canada now.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We we had a couple uh, bookstores. Um, I know um, Glass Bookstore. uh, I forgot where they are in Canada, but they ordered it right away. Um, they ordered the self published <laughs> at the very beginning. And we sold to a couple stores in Toronto, too. So it's already making its way up there. I'm glad to hear that. We are going to have
0: to take a break. We're talking with Danny Kane about Amazon censorship. If you're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network, back after this, you are back with Get Connected. Mike Egerbo here with John Beeler. We've been talking about Amazon and censorship. Uh, we have uh, on the line Danny Kane. He is a bookstore owner down in Kansas. And uh, also an author, uh, poetry author, and an author of a, I guess, somewhat critical uh, assessment of Amazon. He's written a uh, a zine, uh, kind of like a mini book that was available on Amazon, but somehow uh, got taken down for a while. So, I mean, it's an interesting um, topic, Danny. I mean, if someone came out with a book that says Danny Kane sucks because he hates beagles and small children, you know, you as your bookstore owner have the right not to pick up that book right of course yeah um but I guess to your point uh Amazon does basically control most of the the book market at this point and that's yeah. not going to change anytime soon
3: well I'm you know folks like me are working to change that as soon as possible but um the that's that's just the thing is um they would argue that we're a private business we can sell whatever they want um OK, fine, but the, they, they are getting into publishing. They're publishing their own books. Um, books, The way books are designed now is changing because of Amazon. And, and thinking about looking good on computer screens uh, is very important to book cover designers. And so they really do have an influence on a lot of publishing. And to be completely divorced of free speech um, is wishful thinking, I think, for Amazon. And they absolutely do have just a tremendously outsized effect on, on what gets published and, and why and so their decision not to carry a book though they technically by the the interpretation of american law have the right to do that um i don't think we can ignore the free speech implications of them deciding not to sell a book
2: and i think something else that's worth mentioning too that we talked about before uh the interview was the fact that um Especially right now during the pandemic, we've we've heard over and over again, you know, support your local businesses and things like that, and that's definitely one way to, you know, uh, shift the, the the forces, if you will. Um, and you, even your own bookstore has been doing quite well uh, in this situation. You're you're not even open for browsing; you're just doing online sales and uh, and, and drop offs. I think you said, and right. so that, that's a that's a. I think for me, that's a good testament that the power of having an independent local store that you can support is always the first place a consumer should look instead of amazon i know mike and i talk about amazon all the time and how easy it is but also it's also easy to overlook a smaller retailer like yourself mm-hmm.
3: well yeah i mean i would say that uh i i just the um I, it's a funny thing has happened in the book industry because of the pandemic and in, in late march Amazon decided to, quote-unquote, deprioritize books. Um, and they were so inundated with orders for face masks and toilet paper or whatever, um, they stopped accepting orders of books and they stopped um, shipping out books at, at prime speed. And waiting time for a books from Amazon was all of a sudden four, six weeks. Um, and so I think at The Raven and I think at other bookstores that were ready to take this leap, we saw it as an opportunity to snag some market share back Um, because you know a book that would take four weeks from amazon if it was in stock we could deliver it in lawrence that day within hours um and so we took a really aggressive approach in developing our, our shipping and delivery infrastructure um as a way to kind of pull some of those customers into our orbit and hopefully try to retain them and that's what we're working on now is figuring out how to hang on to those people that that came to us when amazon stopped selling books um but the, the ease is is tricky. It, it really is an easy thing to do, um, to, to, to click um, and have something delivered in two days. But I would argue um, that's a sale that's not going to something downtown in your town. It's making it that much harder for whatever retail store is close to you um, to keep providing local jobs and keep pumping money into the local economy. And the Amazon, one of their greatest tricks, I think, has been to convince everybody that it's normal to order something and have it arrive one to two days later. That's um, a tremendous logistical feat. Um, it takes a huge uh, shipping infrastructure. Um, shipping that many small packages that fast is catastrophic for the environment in, in, these, in, these, um, in trucks, in, in vehicles, the, just the emissions alone. Um, it, but it's it's so easy and it's so cheap and they, they they really lose money on shipping but it's to snag people into their orbit um, so yeah I would just say we we try to convince we try to educate people on what it means that something arrives that fast I mean though it's it's easy it's kind of dangerous in other ways too.
0: We're talking with Danny Kane he is uh, the owner of uh, the Raven bookstore down uh in lawrence kansas and also a uh, author of a zine uh called how to resist amazon and why available on amazon.ca <laughs> ironically uh it's and-
3: also available at ravenbookstore.com and oh. we do ship to canada
0: oh very good well uh, maybe that would be a, a good choice uh the uh, the web address again dean
3: ravenbookstore.com
0: thanks so much for uh sharing your thoughts with us today thanks for having me when we come back from the break, more tech to talk here on Get Connected. Stay tuned. You're back with the program. I want to talk about security now. A lot of us uh, have uh, changed our working habits, uh, especially during COVID-19. Many of us working from home. Uh, many businesses have had to adjust. And uh, we still need to be concerned about security. We've got a great guest on uh, right now. We're going to talk about ransomware and ransomware attacks We've got uh, Catherine Keefe. She's the Privacy Breach Response Focus Group Lead at uh, Beasley Breach Response Services. Thanks for joining us.
4: I'm pleased to be here, Mike. How are you?
0: I am. I'm great. Uh, interesting uh, stats uh, from a report you guys have uh, put out. It looks uh, like uh, ransomware attacks are up and uh, specifically around uh, companies that offer uh, things like professional services, also financial institutions, and uh, healthcare. Let's uh, start off uh, just uh, educating our listeners again about what ransomware is, if you can uh, uh, give uh, a layman's uh, term uh, of that.
4: Sure, Mike. Ransomware is malware, essentially, that criminals use to um, encrypt data. Illegally. So, in other words, if you click on an email that you think is from your boss, but it's a spoofed email, and it's really coming from a criminal, and you click on the link or follow the directions that are included in the email, that can inadvertently, you, you, you don't mean to do this, but that can inadvertently let a criminal into your company's uh, computer systems. Whereupon the, the criminals will sit and lurk and watch the traffic, watch who's talking about financial transactions, figure out who the money people are in the company, um, and then, uh, threaten a ransom, uh, demand and say, Hey, we've locked up your systems, pay us six Bitcoin and, uh, we'll think about decrypting your data. That's a ransomware attack.
0: So, so basically holding uh, your company's uh, computer and data hostage until you pay that, uh, that ransom. And when the companies do pay that ransom, do they get their data and computers unlocked?
4: Well, it's a mixed bag. Um, some attack groups are more, uh, quote-unquote, honorable than others, if there is indeed honor among thieves. Some are set up to be... Uh, quote-unquote legitimate businesses, and they strive to provide the best customer service, and they they try very hard to enable the decryption of your data once they are paid. They realize if word gets out that uh, they're taking money and not delivering the goods, then people are going to stop paying. So there are groups that, um, you know, once the ransom is paid, will... Will very ably provide the decryption key, and uh, the company can begin to decrypt the data. It is not a it is not a um, turn the light switch proposition. However, I think companies operate under a misconception that paying ransom and getting the decryptor key back means they can automatically restore their data. Sometimes these restoration projects take days, weeks, or months.
0: Obviously, this kind of uh, attack is, is crippling for business. If you can't access uh, your computer systems and, and your data, uh, it uh, I think in uh, today's uh, time, uh, you're, you're basically dead in the uh, the water. Uh, can you explain, though, why some industries, as I'd mentioned uh, at the top of uh, the interview, like financial services and healthcare, uh, manufacturing, are, are targeted by these cyber criminals more than others?
4: I think it's for the very reason you just said, Mike, that the criminals realize that um, without their data, certain industry segments are uh, unable to run their businesses and so therefore may be more inclined to pay the ransom. So when you think about healthcare, care, you think about patient care and attacks on hospital systems, electronic medical records. If a hospital can't provide that care because it can't schedule the surgeries or operate the NICU security systems, these are things that we've seen happen. Um, then, you know, consideration of paying ransom is more top of mind. Similarly, for professional services companies who really, such as like law firms or uh, accounting firms, who hold the data of their customers, um, they're desperate to get that data back because otherwise their credibility will go down the tubes and likely lose that business. In the manufacturing sector, it's about keeping those operations going. And a lot of uh, systems and lines are run electronically. And without the ability to run those electronic systems, again, uh, business is lost and there's the potential for actually going out of business.
0: We're talking with Catherine.
4: So the, criminals, the, criminals uh, the criminals are reading the room.
0: We're talking with Catherine Keefe. Uh, she is uh, with Beasley. They. Uh, uh, are a breach response services uh, company uh, looking into things like ransomware. Uh, why do you think ransomware attacks are up now uh, compared to uh, the same time last year?
4: Well, I think for a couple of reasons. I think it's a crime that does pay. Um, the criminals are having some success with this. Um, even though more and more companies are focusing on their backups and their abilities and testing their abilities to restore data from their own backups, that's a kind of rule number one. Um, but in the instance where that's not possible or not viable, companies are paying the ransom and criminals are, you know, capitalizing on this. And so I think the success of the crime sort of fosters more of it. Um, the other um, aspect that we saw in the increase in ransomware is that. Um, the criminals are looking for um, aggregated opportunities. In other words, they're attacking vendors who support other organizations by supporting their IT systems or by providing accounting software or other business services. And these vendor attacks have downstream impacts on the impacted clients, um, oftentimes resulting in um, the downstream client system getting encrypted or some other type of impact, such as a system outage. So criminals realize that by attacking a vendor, they can um, leverage that attack in the hopes that the vendor will be more inclined to pay the ransom because of the outsized impact on the customer base.
0: Let's talk about small businesses, uh, e- uh, even more specifically here. Uh for small business owners i think more and more of them are hosting their business online from like you said accounting uh, data uh, to their their email uh, customer information how can they uh, lower their cyber risks i mean you know typically small businesses don't have uh, you know a dedicated uh, IT services team, you know, computer managers to, to look after this. They're kind of leaving everything in the hands of the, uh, the cloud providers uh, that they're, they're using, whether that's like Microsoft uh, Office 365 or some of these, uh, you know, cloud accounting packages. What can they do mm-hmm. to, you know, mitigate their risk?
4: I think they can talk to their cloud provider or their cloud provider representative about the security measures that, that often come with those Office 365 packages. Um, that sometimes are not fully deployed. So in many circumstances, Office 365 um, will come with it, um, some security functionality that sometimes companies forget to turn on. Um, Office 365 has multi-factor authentication capabilities um, and functionality that companies should inquire about and, and turn on that functionality um, to better you know, secure the systems. Or any vendor that a company uses, to outsource any business function using data or performing data functions, uh, small business owners should be asking questions around the data security aspects of that contract, and maybe even hiring a lawyer to take a look at those contracts to make sure that there are there are security provisions in place. Um, small businesses can also go a long way by training their people um, to, as to how to detect a phishing email and not to respond to it, because Phishing emails are one of the largest vectors, um, you know, threat threat vectors where attacks enter the system. So, if we can get our colleagues and friends at work to not take the bait and click on that phishing email, you can you can prevent a lot of these attacks through just a little bit of education.
0: We've been talking with Katherine Keefe. She is with Beasley. Breach Response Services. Uh, she's a Privacy Breach Response Focus Group lead. Uh, Catherine, if people want to find out more about uh, the, uh, the study you guys uh, did and more about uh, ransomware and the, the risks there, where can they get more info?
4: Sure, Mike. They can uh, come on to our website, uh, uh, beasley.com. Uh, we are a uh, specialty lines insurance carrier uh, specializing in cyber insurance and offer our breach response product where we provide a host of services to our policyholders to help them uh, prevent breaches and help them through a situation should they have a ransomware attack or breach.
0: Thanks again for joining us today, Catherine. Thanks, Mike. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Mike, John, and Graham here Just a little bit of time left. Uh, John, we've been talking a little bit about Apple uh, today and some of their big announcements. We're going to cover them in detail on tomorrow's uh, Get Connected app show uh, here on CKW 980 and across the course uh, radio network, uh, talking about all the big changes coming to your iPhone uh, and your watch. But uh, one thing, John, that we should probably mention is that you can actually try out some of this stuff now. Kind of. (laughs) Kind
2: of. Uh, If you're an Apple developer, which basically requires you paying a membership, you can get this stuff now. That's how I did it. I have developed apps in the past, and I keep that going just because I like trying out the new stuff. But uh, Apple normally has a public beta period that allows the public to sort of try stuff out, give their feedback on their forums, that kind of thing. And that's going to be available in July. And this is the first time they're actually going to have a public beta for the Apple Watch, uh, which is very cool, too.
1: You know, I, I jump out of planes. I go scuba diving. I juggle fire. Uh, I don't do dangerous things like installing beta software, but this time I might.
0: Oh, you're tempted, aren't you? I am a little bit. So, if you want to try some of the stuff now, you can get into the development program. You've got to pay a bit of a fee there, but uh, if you want to try it for free before it gets released in the fall, you have to wait a little bit till uh, July. I want to throw it to our contest now? We're giving away a Belkin accessory prize pack. I want to thank the folks at Belkin uh, for uh, offering that up to us. Includes uh, an iPhone cable, they're kind of like gold. Uh, Also a WeMo, uh, uh, I guess a smart uh, plug. You can plug things into lamps and use your voice uh, or your smartphone to control that. And a Belkin wireless charger for your smartphone. It's actually able to charge two devices at the same time. You wanna try to win it? Just go to our website, getconnectedmedia.com. Visit the newsletter tab and subscribe to win. And you'll be entered into all the contests. You can't lose. Also, don't forget to hit our YouTube channel, uh, the Get Connected uh, YouTube channel. Just do a search for that on YouTube and subscribe to it. We need your help. Uh, we want to build it up because it helps us make even more and more videos. And don't forget to like all the ones uh, that you enjoyed watching and, and give some comments as well. We'd like to hear some feedback from you. I want to thank everyone that helps put the show together and my two co-hosts, uh, John and Graham, and my producer, our sorry, our producer uh, Christina. We'll see you again next time.